Okay, next image. Tell me what you see. Ham. Excellent. Okay, next image. Ham. And this one? Also ham. Well, Mr. Addison, I have good news and bad news. Actually, it's all bad news. It's a very rare condition you've got where all you can see is ham. I've been showing you a selection of images of family members and friends and also common household objects, and you identified them all as ham. Ham. See? No, no, no ham. Everything is ham. Friends and family, quality ham. Uh, knives, hard ham, pools, wet ham. The world is made of ham. Wow. Don't come at me with your philosophical claptrap about essences and atoms. I know ham when I see it, and I see ham everywhere. Okay, so what is this an image of? Uh, I, I don't know. I'm having trouble focusing my eyes on it, to be honest. Mr. Addison, this is an image of a piece of ham. No. Yes. But that means you're representing ham on a piece of ham. It's ham all the way down. All the way down. You aren't being serious right now. Yes, I ham. I ham. The podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy, featuring Josh Addison and M. Dentoff. Welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy in Auckland, New Zealand. I am Josh Addison, and in Zhuhai, China, they are Associate Professor Dr. MRXT. Is it the right to say Associate Professor Doctor? It's only in redundant. Germany. Only in Germany. Well, whatever. You are both of those things at various times, uh, and we're in different countries. We and are. That's, that's that is okay. A- Yep, that, that is a statement. Now, Josh, I have to say, after last week's historic episode, I almost felt it wasn't even worth doing another episode of the podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy. Well, no, no, exactly. When you when you managed to pull off what we achieved last week, it's 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 almost almost time to pack it in. Really, I, I actually, I kind of, I, I kind of expected that the, just the magnitude of what we achieved last time would have somehow caused MH three seventy to rise from the waves. And become apparent, which which, as we all know, is the end condition for this podcast. But uh, doesn't seem to happen. Yeah, I mean, it was a really lucky confluence. I sent out invitations to a variety of different, we have to say, prestigious guests we could have on this podcast, and all three wanted to be on the podcast at the same time. And I think we probably had the best roundtable discussion on that topic that anyone's ever had. And frankly, I actually don't know what more there is to say. Mm, No, no, I'm slightly worried that some of what we discussed might end up being both libelous and treasonous at the same time. But nobody's in jail yet as far as I know of, so I I think we got away with it. Actually, have you been following the War Thunder fiasco? Oh, the the missing plane? The F-35? Ah, no, 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 so War Thunder's the forum, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, so War War Thunder is a... Classified details. It is, yeah, so it's it's a tank game developed by, I actually can't remember where, and I think they may even be Ukrainian developers. But it turns out the fans of this game are really, really big fans of tanks. And every so often a tank is introduced into War Thunder, which the fans of these tanks don't believe the attributes are correct for. And so they leak classified information online about official secrets about tanks. And it's hilarious. Often, yeah, yeah. So they've done it again, have they? 
Apparently they're fact, always doing it. Yeah, isn't if this is the one I've heard of, they have a like a pinned topic on their forum saying, guys, please stop sharing classified information to win internet arguments. Yeah. That doesn't appear to work. No, because I mean the the developers have said, look, our forums are set up in such a way that the developers never read what's going on in these posts. So when you're leaking classified information, asking us to improve the attributes of tank X, Y, or Z, none of the developers are ever going to see it. All you're doing is releasing official secrets online. It makes no effect upon the game, but it does make you legally liable for your actions. Yes. No, but then there's also the missing F-35 fighter plane in the States, which is not conspiratorial, but it is quite funny. It seeing is, yeah. the Department of Defense saying, hey, has anyone um, anyone seen our fighter plane? It, it was around here, well, it was, it was, it was sort of here a minute ago, and um, damn it, Josh, we have lost the thing. The Department of Defense should have invested in key fobs, and they could just go, beep, beep, mm. and then work out where it is. Yeah, exactly. You think with all the money they've spent on the F-35, they'd at least put an Apple AirTag in it. Yeah, you'd think so. I don't know. Maybe maybe we need to apply for jobs in the US Department of Defense. We get, get paid them. very well for doing very little work. Well, that seems to be standard. Now, now, now. Now? Now, we have, yes. a, we have an episode. We have an episode this week, uh, as is our want. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's not a conspiracy theory masterpiece theatre, because it's not about an old paper. It's about a new paper. So it's conspiracy theory theatre, I guess. I mean, I mean, basically, we're just using this as an excuse to talk about a paper that I've written, which is available for free for people to read online. Mm. Now, but I believe, though, Josh, you also have a you also have another topic you'd like to broach before we get into that. Yeah, it's the sort of topic that we would normally put in a, uh, a bonus episode for our patrons. But we have something we have something special for the patron episode this week. We'll get to that at the end of the episode. Uh, so now seems as good a time as any to, to mention it. Have you seen about the the, the robot AI Matrix lifeguards? I've heard mention of it, but I don't know any specific details. So let's play a sting, and then you can enlighten me. Oh, it's part of the official episode now. It's it is, momentous. yes. yes. We're, we're going to have two stings, two stings this episode. It's a, it's a bit, I, mean, we, we, I mean, we're going downhill after last week's episode. So mm. we might as well just do stings all the time now. Yeah, it's always stings. So, I mean, this is not a big story, but um, sometime over the last couple of days, an interesting uh, video went up on TikTok and got shared around, and it's a person uh, at a public pool in the States going by the accents, and she's looking at a lifeguard who is moving in what appears to be quite kind of a strange way. They're very, very methodically and robotically sort of tilting their head up and down and sweeping side to side. Um, and it does look a little bit strange. And that has caused the, the, the person shooting this video to assume that the lifeguard is some sort of an AI uh, from the Matrix or something and, and is worried that she's going to call... Uh, security over to get the person out of there and we need to get the word out. Now, people who know about these sorts of things say that this is apparently a thing that lifeguards do. It's referred to as an Alice scan. That's uh, not Alice like Alice in Wonderland, but Alice like like John McClane's uh, coke-snorting friend who gets shot in the face by Hans Gruber and Die Hard, that, that Alice. And an Alice scan is, yeah, I, I, it, it's, it's a way of 
scanning the, the, the whole pool, making sure nobody's getting in trouble. And it's sort of, you do this very unnatural, methodical head sweeping motion, presumably to sort of force yourself to methodically look across the whole pool, not just sort of, you know, sweep your eyes across in a way that, that you could end up missing stuff. So apparently it is a normal thing to do. It just looks very strange. Uh, but from that, launched a conspiracy that we're that we're living in the matrix and this is some sort of a some sort of an AI robot that's been caught on tape. Now I'm looking at a news article here, one that you sent me. And it has yeah. a paragraph starting, conspiracy theories often gain traction when they are presented in a way that appears credible. In the era of easily accessible information, it can be challenging to distinguish between reliable sources and those peddling falsehoods. Social media platforms can inadvertently legitimize conspiracy theories by giving them a platform alongside legitimate news sources, blurring the lines of credibility. Belief in conspiracy theories is not purely rational. Emotions play a significant role. Conspiracy theories can tap into anger, fear, or a sense of injustice, which makes them emotionally resonant. The allure of emotional satisfaction can often outweigh the need for evidence-based reasoning, leading people to believe in conspiracies despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Yes, yeah, so the, the article I read was at uh, streetmedia.tv, which uses the, um, uses the incident to do a bit of a, bit of a talk about conspiracy theories and, and what, they, what they think of them. And they, yeah, yeah they're, they're sort of a bit worried about the, the, the whole truth is, truth is a lie, nothing means anything anymore, everybody invents their own reality stuff. And... Cats are marrying dogs. Mm, it's, it's not nearly as much fun as laughing at someone who thought a lifeguard was a robot. Yeah, I've, I've got a friend back home who has been a lifeguard in the past between doing a PhD and then get, getting an academic job. And yes, apparently the training for that is very methodical to make sure that when you scan a pool, you are looking at every single part of the pool. Because as she points out, you might... You might focus on splashy movement and go, oh, let's, let's make sure the person who's splashing is having fun rather than struggling to drown. But of course, there are also other kinds of movement that show that a swimmer's in distress, which aren't flashy, unless you need to be carefully looking at every single person in the pool. And our normal attention-seeking behavior, that's not, well, not, quite, not quite the right word, our normal attention directed behavior trying to look for activity isn't actually good for looking out for people in danger it's much better at looking for things which are causes of danger to us yeah i do remember reading ages ago that 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 um i, I saw an article that essentially said a drowning person doesn't look like what you think it does and sort of had stories of people who'd been in some rough water getting buffeted around a bit and saw a lifeguard charging towards them and then tried to say, no, no, it's all right, we're fine, we're okay. Only to see the lifeguard run past them and grab the person who was like two feet away from them struggling and, and, and almost, but because they, again, yeah, they weren't splashing around. They were just uh, having uh, severe difficulty keeping their mouth out of the water. I think, I think there was an ad in the UK which shows a person appearing to have a heart attack and then the ad kind of stops and goes, did you notice the person having the heart attack? And then they actually point out the person that you think is having a heart attack is kind of the film version of what a heart attack looks like. The real person having the heart attack in, in, in the background, you wouldn't realise they were having a heart attack because heart attacks by and large aren't visual, they're internal. 
And so looking for the symptoms of heart attacks, we're trained by media to think, oh, heart attack activity looks like X. It doesn't look like X at all. No. Anyway, that's that, that's enough enough talk of, of AI matrix lifeguards. Let's let's move on to your paper. Does that mean another sting then? It does. We'll stick it in a roundabout here. Welcome to Conspiracy Theory Theatre. Yes, we have. We've stuck it in here. Right here. So the paper we're going to be talking about today is called I Know It When I See It, Motivating Examples in the Social Psychology of Conspiracy Theory Theory by MRX Dentith. Now, this paper is it under review at the moment. Uh, it's going through peer review. Is that yeah, so it's, it's going through open peer review through the Rutledge Open Science Collection that's part of the Misinformation and Conspiracy Theories Collection, which I was invited to contribute to at the beginning of this year, or it may have been the very end of last year. Uh, so Joe Usinski is one of the people behind it, so I suspect I got the invite from him. And so I was asked to contribute a piece, and you, you write the piece, you submit the piece online. You have to pay a publication fee, although I managed to actually get Rutledge to pay that on my behalf. And then the paper gets reviewed by people that you elect as reviewers, as well as people that Rutledge consider to be reviewers. And basically, you just go through a process where the reviewers put their reviews online so that people can see what the comments are. And then as long as you get two approved reviews, and that can be approved or approved with reservation, then the paper is officially published. I don't know what happens if it turns out that nobody approves your paper, given that you've paid a publication fee, presumably Rutledge would have to give you that fee back if they end up going, oh, and by the way, we're rejecting this paper, so it isn't published after all. But I think they they, they select experts on the notion that experts are going to write something that's going to get through eventually it, anyway. And I've got one review thus far from Stephen Clark, which is approved with reservations, although the very first line of that review is along the lines of, Dentith doesn't actually need to make any of the suggested changes, but I do think it would be a better paper if these changes were incorporated, which to my mind really is an approved, but Steve went for approved with reservations instead. Well, fair enough. Now, I, I also know why he did it, uh, because I will be editing a paper of his, at some point in the next few months, and I get the impression he's going, oh, oh, I, I better get my revenge first. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Now, because this is not a standard uh, conspiracy theory masterpiece theatre, I haven't, I haven't worked up notes as I usually do because I think it would be a little bit strange to to go sitting to, to sort of be, be be saying and here's what dentist says as I read out these quotes and so on so we can just sort of chat about it in general but we should start with the abstract I can't decide is it fitting that you deliver the abstract since it's your words or is it funnier if I say it even though I'm saying the stuff that's actually what you say. I think it's funnier if you say it. This abstract's an interesting abstract, and that it's not the abstract I initially submitted. So one thing which is, and we'll kind of see this from the way the paper works, which is interesting about this collection, is that it's mostly headed up by social scientists, and so they wanted an abstract which fits in with a more 
social science style of abstract, which is not really the philosophical style. Social science abstracts are kind of very strictly defined. Philosophical abstracts are, well, I mean, no one ever reads them, so you can write whatever you like in them. So the abstract, to my mind, is a little bit clumsy, but it's clumsy because it had to fulfill certain criteria. So thus, I think it's much better that you read it, and thus I can somehow then blame the reading of the abstract on you rather than me. Righto, I shall. So the abstract of this paper reads... Looking at a set of 76 representative articles published by social psychologists between 2017 and 2023, reviewed between December 2022 and February 2023, I examine the role of motivating examples, a kind of illustrative example typically used by researchers at the beginning of their work to motivate the issue or problem they want to resolve or address in that work, in the social psychological work on conspiracy theory. Through an examination of the language around how motivating examples are introduced and used in the social psychological literature, I argue that the abstract and vague way that social psychologists employ such examples ends up relying on what Joseph Yusinski and Adam Enders deem as an unviable and easily abused, I know it when I see it, standard. As will be demonstrated, much of the recent work in the social psychology of conspiracy theory assumes and thus fails to establish what is supposedly problematic about belief in the conspiracy theories used as motivating examples. As a consequence, the surveyed work typically fails to adequately capture belief in actual conspiracy theories, let alone establish a case for a general suspicion of such beliefs. This work then adds to and extends upon existing critiques of the social psychology of conspiracy theory by members of the wider community of scholars studying conspiracy theories. The upshot of this research is that if social psychologists want their work to be of use to the broader scholarly community studying these things called conspiracy theories, then they need to connect their work on the problems of conspiracy beliefs or mindsets to concrete examples of belief in unwarranted conspiracy theories. I mean, that sounds quite sensible. That sounded sensible to me. It does. Yes. Now, so, so this is a this is a um, I don't know the right adjective to use. This paper involves a lot of sort of surveying and reporting of results, which so it's not quite experimental philosophy, but it is very much applied philosophy and applied epistemology. Because yeah, there's there's a lot of surveying, there's a lot of um, methodology, and there's there is multiple tables in this paper. I don't know how I feel three about tables, tables. Josh. Three tables. That's, I mean, it's not many tables. Admittedly, it's probably three more, three more tables than the average conspiracy theory paper in philosophy contains, or indeed the average paper in philosophy contains. Yeah, so I'm not sure about that. If, if you ask me, tables are just a gateway drug for diagrams. And we all know that when you start including diagrams in your philosophical papers... Oh, I to, Josh, I hate to tell you, but one of the early versions of this paper had a pie chart and a histogram oh, that's rather even than that's... a table. So there were diagrams in the original, but Matior he recommended changing some of that information to tables because it would be easier to read. Well, and in doing so, saved your very life because, as we all know, when a philosopher puts diagrams in their papers, the only merciful thing to do is take them behind the shed and end it as I painlessly as possible. I am going to introduce you to my friend Axel Galfit, who wrote an entire book on doing the philosophy of science with diagrams. Probably for the best. Uh, so anyway, so, so that's 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 the thing. So you've you've done a bunch of surveys. You surveyed seventy six articles, um, focusing in particular on the examples that they give at the start to say. Is, is the, I, I'm assuming if you've got seventy six articles, it, it's a fairly common thing then in papers, is that they say you know 
people believe in conspiracy theories like this one, and that tells us blah, 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 and go on. Basically, yes. So, I mean, I would... I don't know where the 76 representative articles actually represent almost all of the papers published in psychology between 2017 and 2023. Certainly, I collect papers as they're being published. So basically, the research archive I got all this information from is my own personal database of materials I've downloaded in that five-year period. There probably are some papers that aren't collected, but I suspect actually my representative sample is actually most of the papers published in psychology over that time. And yes, most articles in psychology start with, here's some conspiracy theories that people believe. Then there'll be a statement of how these beliefs are generally taken to be problematic or emblematic of some kind of psychological process. And then you'll get the analysis of why we should be concerned with this process or what this process means for, say, personality types or fitting in with Big Five or something of that particular kind. So most papers have motivating examples, although, as I note, some papers have no motivating examples. They simply talk about belief in conspiracy theories, don't mention any conspiracy theories at all, and then tell people, look, belief in conspiracy theories is bad without ever attaching that analysis of why belief in conspiracy theories is bad to any concrete example of a conspiracy theory. And you point out the difference, of course, between a motivating example and an illustrative example. It's not, it's not just that here's an example of a conspiracy theory. It's, it, it, it's to show this, you know, th th this is the kind of beliefs we're talking about. And I, I'm assuming in most cases, here's the problem with them. You know, a problem exists. These uh, conspiracy theories are an example of it, and they're why I want to be talking about this in the first place. So it is. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 is, it is. It is. I guess then fairly, fairly important that these examples um, do what they want them to do. Well, yes. I mean, they 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 exist presumably to tell people this is a problem that needs to be resolved. So let's try and resolve that problem. Belief in theories of this particular kind. Um, and then you, you you start talking about this this I know it when I see it standard that Joe Yusinski and Adam Enders have talked about, which is yeah I mean it's it's I, I know it when I see it. What's what was the thing that it was um it was pornography wasn't it that there was the original oh, yes. yeah. Um, yeah I can't define no, it. So it's, a, it it's a yeah it's a Supreme Court ju ju judgment which is you know I mean I can't define what pornography is, but I know it when I see it, which does indicate that Supreme Court justice had looked at a lot of pornography. But uh, pervert justices to, uh, to one side, when it comes to conspiracy theories, it's, it is an equally suspect move, I guess, to say, yeah, I can't define a conspiracy theory, but I know one when I see it. I mean, this is the stuff we've talked about for, for ages, for as long as we've been doing conspiracy theory masterpiece theatre. You, you get all these attempts by people who want to say conspiracy theories are bad, acknowledge that some conspira you know, conspiracies do occur, so some conspiracy theories are you know, just matters of historic fact or whatever. So then it turns to, well, yeah, no, but I'm, talk you, I, I, I'm talking about those conspiracy theories. You know the ones I mean. And it's, it sort of seems to be an extension of that. And as we've seen in the past, that sort of thinking tends to just get people in, into nothing but trouble. So it would be a worry if that's what's going on here. Yeah, and it's a point that was raised by Joe Yusinski and Adam Enders in a, another paper. They point out that when the media talks about conspiracy theories, 
they very rarely, if ever, provide you with an operating definition of what a conspiracy theory is. They simply, well, here's a conspiracy theory. We know it's bad. And as Joe and Adam point out, this is a very easily abused standard where you just assume that everybody knows what conspiracy theories are. Therefore, we all know that they're bad. But without ever actually telling us what makes something a conspiracy theory bad, it's then very hard to do an analysis of what are the bad consequences of believing in these things called conspiracy theories. So then you get into the, the results of your surveying, and here's where the tables start showing up. Now, I should point out, I spent a lot of time reading these articles. So even though what I was looking for were the motivating examples, which are, as I state in the article, predominantly at the beginning of an article. So usually motivating examples occur in the introduction. Here is conspiracy theories. They're problematic. Now we're going to do some research to find out why they're believed, or some, some argument along that kind. But just to make sure that there weren't examples doing motivating work elsewhere in the articles, I by and large read all 76 articles over that, what was it, December to February, so three-month period. Mm. And what was interesting about that is not only are there some articles that have no motivating examples, some of those articles that have no motivating examples had no examples of conspiracy theories at all in their papers. So these are papers that are telling you conspiracy theory belief is bad without ever attaching that analysis to any example of what might constitute belief in a conspiracy theory. And I just think that's, that is lazy that's analysis. That's a worry, yeah. 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 If you can write about the danger of belief in X without ever specifying what X is, then... I'm not quite sure what you're doing. Mm. So you, in, in, in the first of these tables, you talk about um, just all the different examples uh, which come up, and it's, it, it is nice to see. It's a very a, a varied um, set of, of motivating examples. I, I, I'm not going to count the entire. It looked like, looks like you got a couple of dozen at least different um, examples people give there. I notice uh, COVID's the one that comes up the most, and it uh, looks like 9-11 is number two, although half as many mentions of 9-11 as COVID-19, so it's definitely the, the big well, I mean, one there was days. a big explosion of literature from around about the beginning of 2020. So if you actually look at the, num at the number of articles per year, you get 2017 to 2019, not that many articles. 2020 onwards, suddenly a huge amount of articles being produced. I see in, in when you go through some of the examples or the quotes from the papers below, sometimes they're, they're a bit vague. I see papers just sort of saying um, you know, natural disasters, celebrity death, lack of technological progress to pandemics, which, I mean, obviously everyone knows what you think about you talk about pandemics, but the rest of them are uh, just uh, quite quite wide-ranging. And now, so then the next one, you, uh, you, you, you tabulate the number of motivating examples um, in each one of these ones. So I see, yeah, out of the 76, 19 of the articles, a quarter of them didn't have any motivating examples, which does seem like quite a lot. It does, and a small proportion of those had no examples at all. And uh, some of them uh, goes all the way. One of, one of them had nine examples, which I guess that's a little more rigorous, but 
Well, no. So the the, the, the one that, that has nine, nine stuff. Nine, yeah, is it's they're all very vague references, yeah. which is. I mean, the moral we get to at the end, to kind of skip to the end ever so slightly, is that on average, most papers use two examples. And most papers, when they use two examples, mention but don't explain what the conspiracy theories are, and thus give you no reason to believe that they are in any way bad beliefs. Papers which have lots of examples tend to be just as vague, and thus, in some respects, more infuriating, because you've got more examples, but you don't have any reason to think that those are examples of bad beliefs unless you already believe they are examples of bad beliefs. Uh, and then your last table is just a, a list of um, all of the articles you looked at, which is a long one. Yeah, actually, so this this caused a little bit of issue during the publication because, of course, my database was of articles as they were published. And, of course, you get online publication which means an article can appear in one year, but of course actually be formally published the next year or in some cases the year after. And so I had to kind of do some modification to the article to note that the listing by year is the listing of presumably first publication. It doesn't necessarily reflect the actual year of publication of the article because we live in a topsy-turvy world now where... Articles can have multiple publication dates and thus end up having multiple page ranges depending on when you read it. Mm, yeah, it does make life difficult. But uh, moving on, you br bring up an interesting point with, with not having article, uh, not having examples at all, which is that, of course, there's been plenty of work in, social, in the social sciences. Uh, you mentioned sociology and anthropology, but pointing out that there's been a whole lot of work done around the idea that who gets to call something a conspiracy theory is is relevant, and what what and therefore what counts as a conspiracy theory and what doesn't, and the power relationships um, in that. We've we've looked at papers about that uh, not too long ago. So to not define one, not even given an example of one at all, is uh, skipping over all of these problems, which um, have have people have put plenty of work into talking about. So you're sort of definitely letting things down straight away by not having any examples, but then you come to look at the ones that do give examples, what they are. Uh, and you start talking about stereotypical conspiracy theories. Is, is that something you found? They're not, it's, it's the examples that are given are not of a, not of a, you know, here's a, here's a concrete example, more like this is just the, the stereotype that we're thinking about when we think of conspiracy theories. Yeah, and I was thinking here about, for example, when people talk about 9-11 conspiracy theories, people kind of have a stereotype of a 9-11 conspiracy theory, which is going to be some kind of inside job hypothesis, and it's going to be of the, uh, the made-it-happen-on-purpose hypothesis. And that stereotype, we actually don't know whether that reflects what most people who believe in 9-11 conspiracy theories actually believe. It's actually an interesting empirical question here. Is that the most popular 9-11 conspiracy theory, or does it turn out that actually... Most people, if they're 9-11 conspiracy theorists, they say, Lee Hop theorists, let it happen on purpose. Or maybe it turns out there are natural disaster theorists in there going, oh, actually it, was a, actually it was an earthquake that destroyed the Twin Towers. But the government's covering that up because that would affect house prices in Manhattan, and Manhattan's one of the most expensive parts of the world, so therefore we don't want to show it's geologically unstable. 
So when we refer to stereotypes, we need to actually be able to show that the stereotype is actually reflective of what people believe about a particular set of conspiracy theories. And 9-11 is useful here because, of course, there are a lot of 9-11 conspiracy theories out there, and some are more or less plausible than others in that particular set. Yeah, and in particular, um, you you talk about, you go through the um, deaths of John F. Kennedy and the deaths of, death of Jeffrey Epstein um, to point out that when people throw around these these uh, topics, essentially as being um, th- this is a con- you know th- this is an example of a conspiracy theory, but in both of those cases, first of all, there are multiple possible theories, which generally um, sort of go from the authorities did it to the authorities knew it was going to happen and didn't stop it to the authorities. Uh, and this applies to 9-11 as well, of course, the, the, the authorities should have known about it and stopped it but didn't and are now trying to cover up their co- incompetence, that sort of stuff. And in particular, uh, in, in terms of the JFK and the Epstein one, some of these conspiracy theories are, are not implausible, um, especially when it comes to the idea that um, people stuff happened under their watch that shouldn't have and they're simply acting to cover up their incompetence. There you don't actually need to be posit- positing malign intent. It's just um, simple incompetence that I think people would find a lot more plausible. So you give the idea that you know, in the case of JFK, the, uh, one, one possible conspiracy theory is that the CIA simply covered up the fact that they could have prevented the assassination if they'd acted on the intelligence they had. You mentioned the idea that the Warren Commission was designed to to prove that Lee Harvey Oswald was a lone assassin, that, that, that they had decided this was the outcome that they wanted from the outset, and so that was all the commission was ever going to do. And there's good evidence for that mm, claim. Yeah. We know that Lyndon Johnson believed that Lee Harvey Oswald was not a lone assassin, that he had help. I think Lyndon Johnson thought it was a Cuban conspiracy of some kind. And he was persuaded by the Attorney General to... Finger, that sounds terrible, finger Lee Harvey Oswald as the sole person responsible for the death of his predecessor. So we know the Warren Commission was constructed to get a particular verdict. Now, that doesn't actually mean that the Warren Commission result is wrong. You can have commissions who go, well, we think we know who did it. We'll just do an investigation to verify it. But it is interesting that Lyndon Lyndon Johnson was a conspiracy theorist about his predecessor, but political pressure made him give up publicly on that view. And uh, then, of course, there was also the Church Committee finding, which we talked about in the past, I'm sure, which, again, which said that basically that the Warren Commission wasn't, wasn't, didn't do a good enough job of proving its case, but again, not actually saying that its case is wrong. It's just saying it, that the that the relevant authorities didn't actually check all of the leads. They picked a target and chose to prosecute that one, even in death, and didn't do enough investigation of other relevant hypotheses at the time. Uh, and then when it comes to Epstein, again, there are multiple theories. It could simply, again, be a, a covering up incompetence. The prison authorities didn't pay enough attention to him and, and, and should have been able to prevent his suicide, but didn't. 
or get, you know you can then go further into it and uh, without even having to suggest that government agents snuck into a cell and bumped him off again you could su- suggest the idea that he was encouraged to commit suicide or what have you and that was an interesting example because as i between writing it and submitting it a report came out that showed that there was a cover-up by the prison authorities about exactly what had been going on about the surveillance of Jeffrey Epstein in his cell. So the prior probability, I'm sorry, the posterior probability of one of those conspiracy theories went up during the writing of that paper. And as I think gets noted in the article, there really aren't any references to Epstein at all in the current literature, but it's the kind of example that people might want to use in the mm. future. And so people should be aware that when people talk about conspiracy theories around the death of Jeffrey Epstein, there are actually at least three different versions. And some of them are more plausible than others. They're not obviously false or obviously bad beliefs. Yeah. Uh, the next question, of course, then is of these these conspiracy theories that get brought up, how many people actually believe in them and and actually believe in what kind of them? And so you you talk about um, Brian L. Keeley's work on the Oklahoma City bombing, bombing Catherine S. Olmsted, uh, the various things you've said about the Moscow show trials um, and, and uh, various other examples. And the question yeah, becomes, th- these are all specific examples you give, but when we talk about uh, a vague you know, 9-11 or the JFK assassination or something, how do we know that the theory we have in mind is something that people even actually believe anywhere, anyone. Yeah, if you're going to rely on stereotypes, you need an argument that says people predominantly believe in those stereotypical theories. And the problem is there's no literature which seems to indicate that. And this is kind of indicative of a larger issue in the psychology of conspiracy theories, in that there really isn't any literature describing the theories in the first place. So they're not reliant on examples of prior papers that showed that belief in conspiracy X, Y, or Z turned out to be a bad belief. And that's particularly prevalent with the new examples which appear in the 2017 to 2022 time period in that examples like COVID-19 appear around about 2020 and no one explains why these are bad beliefs. Now, we might think that most COVID-19 conspiracy theories are bad beliefs, but if you're going to use them as a motivating example for your research, you need to be quite specific as to this particular conspiracy theory is an example of a belief that people shouldn't hold, especially since some of the conspiracy theories under that umbrella term are being investigated by security agents agencies around the world. So somebody's taking them seriously enough to investigate them. And yet we're kind of washing them all with the label of unwarranted conspiracy theories or bad beliefs. Yeah, and the the COVID-19 especially leads into your next point, which is that more may, maybe maybe these people can get away with it if there had been previous work which had already established some of these things as being 
things things that you could if, if the work has already been done in the past so that we can get away with talking about things in general terms now because they've they've been dealt with earlier but as you say stuff like QAnon and COVID-19 are, are, are pretty much brand new so there isn't even the possibility in a lot of these ones there could have there could have been any sort of prior establishing of of that, that, that a when you're talking about them you are referring to a defined kind of conspiracy theories uh, and B, that they are in any way unwarranted or silly or irrational or something. And that actually makes me think of a point I don't make in the article but maybe in a revision I should make, which is that's the other problem of the unviable and easily abused I know it when I see it standard. When a new conspiracy theory comes up, you go, well, we know conspiracy theories are bad. Ipso facto, this new one must be bad as well because I know a bad conspiracy theory when I see one. I've been trained on the past set of bad conspiracy theories, except, of course, you haven't been, because at no point have you done any work to establish that these theories are, by necessity, bad beliefs. And then the last, the last bit of your paper before the conclusion is the idea of conspiracy beliefs versus belief in individual conspiracy theories. Um, so you say conspiracy theories are not beliefs, uh, referring to... Well, actually, uh, Julia makes that claim. Yeah. I simply support yeah. her in making yeah. that claim. So people people believe in particular conspiracy theories, and some people believe in lots of conspiracy theories, and they're the ones I guess we call conspiracy theorists and cast aspersions upon. But you point out that sort of once once the motivating, and in many cases, well, well I, think, I think you did point out some of the articles mention examples all the way through but in many cases there's the motivating example at the beginning and then and then examples don't really come up again it's you're yeah. talking about yeah. beliefs in general the whole way through after that and so thing everything uh remains at the level of the of the abstract is that the is it is it the abstractness that is the bigger problem for you well yeah it's because if you're going to use motivating examples then either explain why those motivating examples are examples of beliefs that need attention, or make reference to work which actually explains why those are bad beliefs. So I argue, as you listed earlier, I use examples of other scholars. Some people, when they're talking about conspiracy theories, go into the details of the conspiracy theories in question. Though I talk a lot about the Moscow Show trials and the death of Julius Caesar. Brian talks about the Oklahoma City bombing. Lee Basham talks about the Atomic Energy Commission and the covering up of the danger of radioactive fallout. Catherine Olpstead has written an entire book on conspiracy theories in America over the course of the 20th century. You actually can refer to literature which explains the conspiracy theory and maybe also posits rationales as to why, on the evidence, the conspiracy theory is either good or bad. But the psychologists aren't doing that. They're simply relying on abstract examples and abstract examples that we're never given any reason to believe are actually the beliefs of conspiracy theorists out there in the world. It might be the case that there are a whole bunch of conspiracy theorists out there who simply believe really, really abstract conspiracy theories of the kind, oh, the New World Order is out to get me. But in many cases, they'll be saying, oh, the New World Order is constituted of the following groups. So the Trilateral Commission, the, Bil the Bilderberg groups, and they're led by Lord Rothschild, etc., etc. Et they tend to believe in much more concrete theories. 
than the psychology literature is actually tilting against. And that leads you in to your conclusion, which which is actually n- normally normally the conclusion is short enough that I can read the whole thing out. But this one this one's got a bit more detail, got a bit more meat in the conclusion than usual. So I don't think I could get away with that. But certainly it starts. As we have seen in the preceding analysis, I know it when I see it examples are not useful when it comes to motivating the analysis of what might be wrong with belief in conspiracy theories. This is because such examples, songs of detailed description of the theories in question, are typically clusters of sometimes rival theories that often include within that set conspiracy theories which are at the very least plausible to believe given the available evidence. As such, the preceding analysis fits in with existing critiques of the social psychology of conspiracy theory theory a few references and so you sort of ask you know what would, what would be the cost of using more detailed examples and as you say if the average is two two examples it doesn't sound like a lot of work to to, to actually work up um a more concrete example that you can you can go some way towards showing why it's uh why it's um irrational yeah i mean it, it's it's the addition of a paragraph or two of additional verbiage which would then make your examples more concrete. Yes, you say, admittedly, one cost of moving away from the I know it when I see it standard is that social psychologists might have to do a little more digging to find obviously implausible conspiracy theories to use as motivating examples in the future. Once you start working with what people actually believe, it becomes clear that at least some belief in conspiracy theories is plausible. That sounds a little bit bitchy to me. Just a little bit. Just a little bit pointed. Well, so part of this actually is Joe Yusinski's fault. So sometime last year, or maybe the year before last now, because time moves in weird ways, especially during the pandemic, Joe egged me on to become less friendly, more competitive in my writing. And so this is kind of Joe's fault. He wants, he basically wants other social scientists and people in the humanities and philosophers to be a bit more aggressive in critiquing some of what he thinks of as lazy work going on in conspiracy theory, theory generally. And so I'm, I'm just following up on what Joe has asked and taking the fight to the other team. I guess that's fair. Oh, did, did, you, watch, did you watch the leaders' debate? No. Between, oh, God, no. Between so, Chris and Chris, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it was terrible on so many different levels, but the worst, actually not the worst part, but one of the worst parts to my mind is that when they had the discussion of the debate afterwards with Jack Tame talking with Toe Henry, Mikey Sherman, and David Cunliffe, not only did they keep on using sports metaphors for how the debate went down, but they kept on wanting Chris Hipkins to become really aggressive and to quote Mikey Sherman, go all mongrel on Christopher Luxon. And I was going... I don't think I like these aggressive metaphors. I mean, maybe it's the polite New Zealander in me, but these aggressive metaphors are just not suiting me at all. No, no. Well, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe if more of Joe rubs off on you, then you'll change your tune. Become more of a become more of a mongrel yourself. Those are fighting words, Josh. If you were, mm. if you were, if you were in front of me right now, wham, bam, straight to the moon. Yes, well, good thing I'm not. Uh, so you, t- you talk about the benefits, of course, of using 
more, more, more well-argued examples, and then go on to say, furthermore, the issue is not just that the motivating examples in the survey papers in social psychology are poor, rather the use of illustrative examples in general in the social psychology literature itself is poor. Recall that in many of the papers surveyed, there are no examples cited other than the motivating examples, and in nearly 10% of the surveyed papers, there are no examples motivated or illustrative whatsoever. It really does seem that work in social psychology rests upon the problematic and unviable I-know-it-when-I-see-it standard, uh, which you go on to say is a problem, as we have discussed. And I, I even end by saying if they don't, if they don't buckle their shoes and tighten their pants, their work is not going to be of much use to the wider literature. And that's the other thing which I, mm. I kind of emphasise in this paper. Psychology is just one discipline that studies conspiracy theory. Many people, for some reason, have privileged the psychological work on conspiracy theory, but historians study it, sociologists study it, cultural studies scholars study it, political scientists study it, philosophers study it. There's a song reference there of ants do it, bees do it, even human beings' knees do it. That literature needs to have a broad appeal and at the moment, the social, psycho social psychological literature is really only talking to itself. Mm. Well, there we go. So an interesting paper, if, if, if you do say so yourself. Indeed, uh, which, I do. Which you did as I, as I was reading your words uh, in first person. So that's, that's the end of this episode. We've looked at papers. We've looked at robot lifeguards. We've talked about fighter planes. What more could you want? Uh, well... If you're a patron, you'd, you'd probably want a bonus episode because that's what you get. And what a bonus episode we have for you. It's been years it's since been we a while. did an art fraud story. Yeah. And boy, do we have a story for you. Mm. Yes, another another, another, um, another bit of conspiratorial happenings in the art world. Uh, so if you'd like to hear more about, about dodgy, dodgy, arty dealings, Become a patron if you're not one already. Just go to betrayon.com and look for the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy and sign yourself up. Uh, and I think, I think that's pretty much all we have to say to you this week. Indeed, it is. Well, then, in that case, it's simply a simply a matter of me saying goodbye. I know a goodbye when I see it. The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy stars Josh Addison and myself, Associate Professor M.R.X. Denter. Our show's conspiracy producers are Tom and Philip, plus another mysterious anonymous donor. You can contact Josh and myself at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com, and please do consider joining our Patreon. And remember, it's just a step to the left.